Gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome to another dad battle. Now is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? joined the golf team at school. So, I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on! Yeah. Yeah. Hold up! Who touched the thermostat? Yeah! That lawn isn't gonna mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. Oh, yeah. 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 Just wait till your mother gets home. Yeah. Oh. What? Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it. Proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you, no matter what. When God made you, He made something very special. Proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. Boop. And then again. Who gives this woman? No. No, you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Mother and I do. Oh. 
If you'll find your place in your Bible with me this morning at uh, 1 Kings chapter 15, we're actually going to be looking at 2 Chronicles as well. You know, we were just watching that video and those dads and the famous things that dads have a way of saying to their children over the course of raising their children. I found a few others that you might be interested in. One dad said, never let the gas in your car go below half a tank. Of course, that was before it was $5 a gallon gas. Uh, Not quite as easy as it used to be. Or another dad said, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you talk. And aren't there times when you had your children in the car when they were young and you turned around and you said, can you just be quiet for five minutes? You ever do that? Uh, Or how about uh, the dad who said, if you're going to be 10 minutes late after curfew, you can come home 10 minutes before your curfew. That makes sense. Going to be late, it was just set the curfew 10 minutes earlier. Or one dad said, uh, If you ever get arrested, you're safer in jail than when I get my hands on you. <laughs> or the one that Steve Martin, uh, the comedian, uh, gave. He said, A father carries pictures where his money used to be. <laughs> the truth is, it uh, gets even more so when uh, you're a granddad. Uh, because you can't wait to spend on the grandkids. I I was thinking not only of advice that grandparents or parents, dads give to their children, I was thinking as well as some of the dad jokes, you know, uh, the the ones that your children roll their eyes at, and they sort of, oh, dad, not again. Uh, These are what what I like to call corkyisms. I don't know if uh, Corky ever used any of these. Corky was one of our deacons here in the church, and he's in heaven now. But uh, here's, here's one of them. When is a door not a door? When it's a jar. <laughs> or well, why can't your nose be 12 inches long? Uh, because then it would be a foot. <laughs> uh, this is not going over very well, is it? <laughs> I can see the eyes rolling back in the head. Or what do you call a thousand rabbits walking backwards? A receding hairline. (laughs) Uh, Just two others. Just hang with me here. All of you young dads, you got young kids. I know your kids laugh at all your jokes. Just wait till you get our age. They'll roll their eyes at you too. And they'll say, oh, dad, dad, you said that a thousand times. Just get used to it. It'll be your day one day. Uh, What do you call a man with no body and no nose? Uh, nobody knows. <laughs> or here's one that's very appropriate, and it's the last one, I promise. But what did the daddy spider say to the baby spider? You spend too much time on the web. <laughs> oh, well, there's a lot of dad advice, and there's a lot of dad jokes, aren't there? A lot of jokes about dads, and we dads love every moment of it. Uh, we uh, might not act like it, might not always look like it, but we like every moment of it. And dads, we want you to know how valuable you are and how important you are. And we thank the Lord for you. You should all, all stop and remember the significance that you play in the lives of your children. I took some data from the United States Census Bureau just to give you an, an indication of how important children are. Eighteen and a half million children, according to the Census Bureau, grow up without their father. And the United States of America owns the title of the world's leader 
in fatherlessness. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, Destroying the nuclear family has devastating effects. For example, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes And over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Think about that for a moment. I was uh, doing just a little surface research, just looking at some of these mass killers, especially the younger men that are mass killers. It's almost non-existent to be a young woman doing that. They're almost always young men. And the ones that I looked at, and I studied a little bit about their backgrounds and what their family life was like, the overwhelming majority of them either did not have a father or they had a significantly dysfunctional family. Now, the fact of the matter is all of us are a little bit dysfunctional. Let's just be honest about that. Every family has a little dysfunction in it. But I'm talking about significant dysfunction in these families. And you go back and look at them, whether it's Dylan Root or the one that's most recent or the one all the way back to Columbine, you go look at them and you will discover that more often than not, they come out of broken homes. They come out of homes where there was no father or there is no father to love or care for them or there was some other kind of dysfunction within the family so that the children did not have the attention of their fathers. When it comes to poverty, according to the Census Bureau, data shows that children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent home. Now, now please take a moment here. I'm not in any way trying to add grief or pain to those of you who've been through a divorce. Uh, Divorce is a very difficult thing, and sometimes it's a necessary thing. And it's always unfortunate. And those of you who've been through it, you know the pain that it causes within your own heart and in the hearts of your family members. So I'm not in any way trying to add pain to what you're going through. But it's the reality of our living in this world, the reality of what God tells us, that when there isn't a mother and a father in a home, it presents challenges that oftentimes our children are not ready to handle. And a two-parent home gives the children the best possibility and opportunity to thrive in this world. Uh, Do you understand that's why the family is under attack, not just through the matter of divorce. When it comes to the matter of divorce, I mean, we've made it so easy that you don't even have to have an excuse. We just don't get along with each other anymore. We don't want to live together anymore. We want to be divorced from one another. And in the process of making divorce so easy, we've made marriage rather trivial I mean, it's trivial because, you know, if you get into marriage, you can get out of it really quickly. It's no big deal. And consequently, a lot of them don't even want to get into marriage. We'll just live together outside the bonds of marriage. Why get into all of that, uh, all of those contracts and all of that legalese and all of that uh, legal jargon? Why get into all of that mess? And in the process, we handicap our children oftentimes. And the attack on the family today is coming from the sexual perversions of our society where they say two mothers are as good as a mother and a father or two daddies are as good as a mother and a father, and that's a lie. It's never been true. It will never be true. It cannot be true. Research indicates that children without fathers at home 
are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. Did you hear that? 90% drop out of school. 90% of them are the homeless and the runaway children, and nine times, they're more nine times more likely to drop out of school. I mean, dads, the culture around you may be saying you're not that important, You're not that valuable. You're not that central to the lives of your children that your kids can get along without you. But the reality is your children need a mother and a daddy. And if you're not together, mothers need to make sure they're taking care of their children and daddies. Daddies need to be doing the same, loving their children and reaching out to their children, even if the children are going back and forth between mama and daddy. They need to be loving their kids. Children need to see a mama and a daddy. There are some things that I can do for my children that my wife cannot do. And there are some things that my wife can do for our children that I cannot do. And we are valuable and important to one another. You say, Pastor, wow, what a a way to start a message. I know I want to lay it on you heavy right at the beginning. I want every dad in the room, every dad who's watching me to understand while your role gets pushed aside significantly so and increasingly so in the society in which we live, the reality is mamas and daddies in a home together make the best possibility for children to turn out well. And when there isn't that circumstance, mamas and daddies both have to love their children, and you should never have to have your wages garnished for your child's support to be paid. Amen? should never have to have your wages garnished for that to be taken care of. So having said all of that, I want to bring you to a story in 1 Kings. And I want to tell you the story of this man. His name is Asa, King Asa. And I want to give you some background of this story. And out of this story, I'm going to draw four Uh, very important lessons. Actually, these lessons apply to everybody in this room and everybody who's watching, but I want to apply them especially to dads this morning. You'll notice beginning in verse 8 of chapter 15, it says, so Abijam rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. And he banished the perverted persons. Those were the male prostitutes at the pagan temples. He banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And he removed Maacah, or Maacah, his grandmother from being queen mother because she made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was, and men, this is a word I want you to hear. You're going to see it four different times. Loyal. Asa's heart was, say it with me, men, loyal. Again, Asa's heart was loyal. To the Lord all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his fathers had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold utensils. 
Now, for me to tell you this story, <clears throat> I've got to take you back before the beginning that we've just read. And I want to take you back into understanding something about Asa's father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. As you well know, Saul was the first king of Israel, and God deposed him and placed David as the king over Israel. And David becomes the king by which every other king is measured. Every other king is measured by this great king, David. David may have had his flaws, and David did sin. But the reality is that David had a heart that was after God. And though he had failures and though he had faults, he sought the forgiveness of the master, his master in heaven, and God forgave him. But here was a man, David, who loved God with all of his heart. He had a son by the name of Solomon. Solomon became the wisest man on earth the wisest man living in his day. God gave him wisdom because Solomon asked for wisdom. But somewhere the wisdom of Solomon stopped being applied because Solomon began multi multiplying wives. He began multiplying the number of women that were in his harem, that were in uh, his uh, palace. Back up, if you will, to chapter 11. And notice what it says. Solomon begins a downward spiral toward the middle to the end of his life because of the many women that he married. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not intermarry, he says nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Does Solomon listen to God? Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Will you look at the middle of verse 4? His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not, here's the word, men, loyal. Say the word with me, men, loyal to the Lord his God. If you look down at verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord. And down in verse 9, in the middle of the verse, his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. In other words, uh, the writer of Kings says, I mean, the Lord appeared to him twice. Spoke to him twice in person. And yet Solomon didn't listen to his own wisdom. He certainly didn't listen to the wisdom of God. And the result was, if you read the uh, books that were written by Solomon, you see a downward trend in his life until you come to a book where he doesn't even have any hope. You read Ecclesiastes and you read a book where a man says everything is vanity. Life is vain, it's empty, it's worthless, it's like a bubble that appears for a few minutes and then it's gone. He became so depressed and so despondent because he turned his heart away from the Lord. Well, the reality is when you turn your heart away from the Lord, that inevitably impacts your family, right? It inevitably impacts your family. He had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam becomes the next king after Solomon dies. And Rehoboam wasn't wise himself. Uh, Rehoboam was told by the older advisors to his daddy Solomon, 
Whatever you do as you come into power, don't raise the taxes. Lessen them. Don't make it harder for the people. Make it easier for the people. But Rehoboam had surrounded himself with a bunch of younger counselors who weren't as familiar with the people or the background. By the way, before you move a fence, better find out why that fence is there, right? Is anybody with me? Before you remove a marker in somebody's life, you better find out why that marker is there. They didn't listen. Uh, They didn't listen to the older advisors. They were not as familiar with the people, not as familiar with the boundaries. And they said, no, 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 Rehoboam, what we want you to do is we want you to turn up the pressure. We, We want you to tax them more and more. Just put more pressure on them. And you know what the result of that was? Rehoboam followed the advice of the younger counselors. You know what the result of that was? It caused a schism, a division in the kingdom. Ten of the tribes broke away, and the first king was Jeroboam. He had no descendancy from David. He wasn't related to the lineage of David, but he became the king over the northern kingdom. It's called the kingdom of Israel. It's in the northern half of the, of the land of Israel. And Rehoboam became the king of the southern part called Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Well, Rehoboam himself followed in the footsteps of his dad. Don't turn here, but it's over in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. As Solomon had turned his heart away from the Lord, listen to what it says about Rehoboam. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. Uh, leadership takes people where they're headed. If there's not leadership in a nation, they'll lead them to the pits. If there's not leadership in a family, that, that, that lack of leadership will cause all kinds of problems within the family. And here was a man, Rehoboam, who followed in his father's footsteps, turned his heart away from the Lord, didn't obey the Lord's commands. He led the people to disobey the Lord's commands. And the end result was it was disaster. Rehoboam had a son. His name was Ahijah. Uh, If you'll look down for a moment in 1 Kings over to uh, chapter 15 again. Chapter 15 in verse 1. Well, let's back up to verse 31 of the previous chapter, chapter 14. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then he says, then Abijam. He's also called Abijah. Both of those names are speaking to the same man. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his stead. In the 18th year, King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. Well, look what Abijam does, verse 3. And he walked in all the sins of his father. Who was his father? Rehoboam. Who was Rehoboam's father? It was Solomon a man who had turned his heart away from the Lord. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not, here's our word, what does it mean? Loyal to the Lord his God, as as was the heart of his father David. There he is, David. David is the model. David is the one by which you measure yourself. And when you measure yourself against David, not only had Solomon become disloyal, His son, Rehoboam, had become disloyal, and Rehoboam's son, Abijam, had become disloyal. You look down in verse 8, and you see, so Abijam rested with his father. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. Interesting. 
Asa reigned in his place. And so you have a son, the son of a father who turned his heart away from the Lord, who had a grandfather who turned his heart away from the Lord, who had a great-grandfather who turned his heart away from the Lord, and the result was there was a pattern that began to develop, a cycle of disobedience that began to develop. Can I just remind you of what the Bible says? The Bible says that a father's sins will be visited to the third and fourth generation of his children. You say, that doesn't sound fair to me. That doesn't sound fair to me that God would judge my children or my great-grandchildren or my great-great-grandchildren because of the sins I committed. He's not judging your children for the sins you committed. You committed the sins that put your children on a path that brought them into the judgment of God. And one generation after another generation follows in the footsteps of the generation that goes before them. And each generation is on a devolving cycle going further into depravity, further down into disobedience to God. And consequently, your, in, your children end up being judged because of their own sins. But who set the path? Who set the pattern? Who gave the model? It was the dad. Dads, you need to understand this. And all you radical feminists just have to get over it. Dads are the head of the household. You are the leaders in the family. You are the ones, first of all, responsible for your children. And the pathway you cut before your children will likely be the pathway that your children follow. It was that way when Solomon turned his heart away, Rehoboam followed on into that disobedience. And when Rehoboam went into disobedience, his son went into disobedience. And when Abijam went into disobedience, then there was Asa. And something happens. We read it earlier. You notice verse 11 again, chapter 15, verse 11. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as did his father David. Isn't that great? In other words, Asa says, you know what? I'm going to break this cycle. Turn with me now, if you will, over to 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 14. We're going to pick this story up. I'm going to talk you through the story, and I'm going to give you some applications. And speaking to you dads about the importance of your role in the family, about setting the pace, about being the leader with your children and in your families, showing your children how to live for God, to be, what's our word, men? Loyal to the Lord our God, to be loyal to the Lord our God. Uh, you'll notice chapter 14, verse 1. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So he's telling us the same thing we learned back in 1 Corinthians 15. In his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. Now look, Asa decides he's going to do what's right. Verse 2, Asa did what was good and right. In the eyes of the Lord is God. Look down at uh, verse 3. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. You hear what he's doing? Not only am I going to show you the obedience to God, we're going to follow what he commands us to do. All of these things that you have built over these last years, your families have built these secret places of idol worship. He's going to go and cut them all down. He's going to remove them all. Why? Because the people aren't supposed to be worshiping false gods, right? They're supposed to, are y'all with me? They're supposed to be worshiping the one true God, worshiping the one true God. But they're worshiping all of these false gods. That's really a foolish thing to do. 
I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But they're worshiping all these false gods. And Asa says, look, we can't have this out here. If we're going to follow the one true God, we've got to get rid of all this other mess. And we've got to be loyal to God, to God himself. Well, that's what he does. He removes all of these things. Verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. And there was peace. It goes on to tell us there was 10 years of peace at the end of 10 years. By the way, why was there peace? At the end of verse 7, we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest. Isn't that great? Do you realize that when you're not loyal to the Lord that almost inevitably you end up with turmoil? Now, you may have turmoil from outside. I'm talking about an internal turmoil. When you're loyal to the Lord, there's a peace that comes within from following the Lord and knowing that you have done what the Lord has commanded you to do. And here was a country, here was a southern kingdom being led by a king by the name of Asa. He'll rule for 41 years. And because they're following the Lord, he turns and follows the Lord himself. His people follow him and they follow the Lord loyally. And God gives them rest for 10 years. And then the Ethiopians come against them. We're not going to read the whole story. It begins in verse 8. Asa only has 580,000 troops. The Ethiopians have more than a million, verse 9. And he knows that they're more than two to one. They're, they're outnumbered. They have double the number. It'd be sort of like saying to a basketball team, uh, we're, going to play five on, we're going to play five on two or five on three. I mean, would that be fair? Or if you said to a football team, we're going, to let the, we're going to let one team have 15 players and the other team has 11 players. Would that, would that be fair? I mean, it, was not, it wasn't a fair fight. I mean, the, the Ethiopians have a million people. They had 300,000 or 300, uh, uh, 300 chariots, uh, not 300,000, but 300 chariots that they're going to be using in this battle. It's not a fair fight. That's the point. So what does Asa do? What every godly man does when he's in trouble. <laughs> matter, of, matter of fact, he does it all the time, right? Verse 11, and Asa cried to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. You know, there is no enemy we face that's greater than our God. <clears throat> God is bigger and greater than any enemy that stands before us. And so they returned to a period of peace, uh, just a relative amount of time that they didn't have peace, but a period there for a little while while the Ethiopians were threatening them, and God gives them, and gives them this incredible victory. He routs the Ethiopians. And then, you know what? There's a, another revival that takes place in the land. Another renewal. It's picked up in verse 15, <clears throat> chapter 15, excuse me. It says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you were with him. <clears throat> What's he talking about? That's loyalty. The Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. You notice that in verse 7. He says, But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Then look at verse 12. 
Uh, Asa gathers all the leaders of the land together, all of the leaders of the different tribes together. What does it say, verse 12? Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, (coughs) whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And there's great rejoicing. How serious are they about this revival? Verse 15, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And he removed Maacah, the mother, the word can mean grandmother, which it is here, of Asa, the king, from being queen mother. You hear what he says? He said, this revival is so great, I even went to my grandmother's house. Now, I don't know about you and your grandmother. I had a deep respect for my grandparents and my grandmothers. And my grandmothers had permission to do to me what my mother could do to me. I had deep respect for my grandmothers. But here he is. He's got his grandmother, and his grandmother is worshiping a false idol. And what does he do? He deposes her. (laughs) She can no longer be called the queen mother. And he goes in, and he cuts down what he calls here the Asherah pole, the Asherah pole. Notice verse 16. He removed Mecca, the mother of Asa the king, from being queen mother (coughs) because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. Wow. By the way, an Asherah pole? <clears throat> you say, what is that? <clears throat> they had, they had uh, trees where they would have groves and they would create altars within those trees and they would go to those groves for the purpose of worshiping. Sometimes they used rocks and they would uh, chisel them and, and shape them. Other times they were just a solid rock that they would put there. Sometimes they were made out of wood, as was the Asherah pole. It might have been a tree that was carved and worked, or it might have been like a totem pole. Ever seen a totem pole close to us? Might have been like a totem pole, carved and maybe colored. And what would they do? They would come and they would worship the idol. His grandmother was doing it. He deposes his grandmother. He cuts down his grandmother's idol. He grinds it up. He gets rid of it because he's calling the people back to righteousness. Verse 17. (coughs) But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa, here we come, men, say it with me when I get there. The heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Loyal all his days. He goes on to bring silver and gold instruments into the temple and so forth. He does all of this renewal. Well, when you get to chapter 16, It's talking about the 36th year. Uh, There's some chronology issues that we could talk about, but that's beyond the scope of this message. The way to answer those is straightforward, but I'm not going to take the time to do that. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, uh, Baasha, the king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah. So what happens? They've had all this peace. They had the Ethiopians rise. God put them down. They have this return to peace. And now late in the reign of Asa, the, the northern king and his kingdom comes down. 
He's going to build Ramah, and Ramah is intended to be a fortress. It's going to keep people from coming into the southern kingdom and coming out of the southern kingdom. I'm going to cut off all commerce. We're not going to let anybody pass between us. So what do you think Asa would do? I mean, God had already routed the Ethiopians, so you'd think that he already knows God can do anything. I mean, a two-to-one advantage the Ethiopians had over him, and God routed them. So you'd think what he'd do is he'd turn to God and say, God, <clears throat> you see the king in the north? He's coming down, and he's trying, to, he's trying to harm us. He's trying to hurt us. But what does he do? Instead of turning to God, he turns to the king of Mesopotamia. He turns to the king of Syria. <clears throat> if you don't know this, let me tell you. The king of Mesopotamia, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, <clears throat> was one of them. Uh, they were constantly the enemies of Israel. Othniel had to deliver, one of the judges, Othniel, had to deliver them from the king of Syria. David was constantly in battle with the kings of Syria. <clears throat> Solomon was constantly in, in struggles against the king of Syria. And rather than turn to God, he turns to a group of people who've been his enemies. <clears throat> and you know what he does? <clears throat> he says, here, I'm going to pay you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to go to the north, way up north in the northern kingdom. I want you to attack them way up there so that they have to leave where they're building this city and they have to go back up into their land. And they strike an agreement. And so this king of Syria goes and attacks. It means that the king of the northern kingdom has to leave and he has to go up to defend himself on another front. And so King Asa does what? <clears throat> King Asa comes, he takes all these things down that have been being built. He uses them to build somewhere else and to do something else with. But you'll notice what happens here. Verse 8, chapter 16, verse 8. Well, look, look at verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria... And have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria <clears throat> has escaped your hand. I'm going to drink a water here, y'all. Are y'all with me? This preaching stuff hard, is hard work. <clears throat> he goes on here. Uh, he says, Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your land, where the Ethiopians in the Lubim, now a huge army, not a huge army, excuse me, with very many chariots or horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf. Here we come, men. Make sure to say the word with when we get there. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is, what is it? Loyal to him. And this you've done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Wow. He's gone from an extended period. He's going to rule for 41 years. He's gone from an extended period of time where there's been peace. <clears throat> now he says, because you chose to depend on the king of Syria rather than depend on me, you became disloyal. And the result is going to be for the rest of your days, there's going to be wars that you have to fight constantly. Well, that's not the end of it. <clears throat> it goes on. Verse 10, then Asa was angry with the seer. You know, people are always angry with the preacher <clears throat> when the preacher tells them the truth. 
aren't they? Not always, but a lot of times they're angry with the preacher. He was angry with the preacher. Verse 12, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. All you medical doctors and medical personnel, you can figure out what that is. We don't know. Maybe you can figure it out. And his malady was severe, yet in his disease, (coughs) he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Is he telling us we shouldn't seek the physicians? Well, if that's what he's telling us, I sinned this past week. Please forgive me. That's not what he's telling us. But while you're seeking the physicians, you know whom, whom you ought to seek first? The Lord first. He didn't seek the Lord first. He went immediately to the physicians without even consider, considering or consulting the Lord. Verse 13, so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. and They buried him in his own tomb in the city of David. Now, you see a man's life here. <clears throat> I'm going to do this quickly. You see a man's life. <clears throat> And what God was looking for was for him to be loyal. He was looking for people to be loyal. Do you know what it means to be loyal? The Hebrew word for loyal is used in a number of different uh, capacities in the Old Testament. But the way I can help you to understand it best is to see it in the capacity of the temple. When they set up an altar, they were to use a rock that had not been hewn or cut. It had to be whole. It couldn't be cut. When they were building the temple, where did they have to do the chiseling and the forming and the shaping of those huge stones that make up the outside of that temple? Where did they have to do that? They did that miles and miles away because there could be no sound of hammers around the temple. No sound of hammering or shaping. The the stones had to be shaped. They had to come whole and ready to be inserted where they were supposed to go next. What does it mean to be loyal? It means to be whole. It means to be complete. It means to be undivided. It's the opposite of what James is talking about in the New Testament when he says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know what a double-minded man is? The word means a two-souled man. I got one hand over here holding on to the world and the other hand over here holding on to God and I'm just trying to hold on to both. And God says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is a double-minded man? It's a man who's not holy, loyal, and committed to God. And that's what God's looking for. God's looking for those who will be loyal. Notice verse 9, 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Do you know what it means, his eyes run to and fro? Think of it, men. Stay with me. Think of it. What what does a college coach do to find players? He, He scouts, right? He goes to high school games, looks at the juniors and the seniors to to see who are the best players, who he can talk to, who he might be able to recruit to the school. Now, college college sports has changed a lot, and there's things going on that I don't fully understand, so I'm not going to get into that. But the coaches have got to go to and fro. Their eyes have got to go to and fro. What does it mean? That's his job. What's God's job? God's job is out looking for men who will be, what's our word, men? Loyal. What does it mean to be loyal? Undivided, uncut, whole, 
complete. You're not double-souled. You got one soul, and that one soul is for God. I have nothing else between my soul and my Savior. Not of this world's delusive dreams. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Nothing between. That's the point. And for a long time, Asa did really good, didn't he? Until the end. So now here are the four points I want you to make. Write, write them down, man. Come on, stay with me, man. I'm your coach today. <clears throat> We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. I wouldn't be a very good coach. I don't think. I know I'm not a good player. <clears throat> I don't think I'd be a very good coach. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I've never tried it. So maybe we'll put together a men's team and maybe I'll see if I can coach. <clears throat> Number one, men, write it down. Don't let your past determine the trajectory of your future. Don't let your past determine the trajectory of your future. Here was a man who by every reason should have just continued on. I mean, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father, they had all turned their hearts away from the Lord. They had all walked away from God. <clears throat> and you would have expected that Asa growing up in that and watching that and seeing that would have said, you know what? I'm just going to keep following in my father's and my forefather's footsteps, and I'm going to keep going the direction they're going. But something happened. I don't know what it was. I don't know what changed his heart. I, I don't know how it came to him. But something helped him to understand where my fathers and forefathers have been walking is not the way I'm supposed to walk. And he broke the cycle. You don't have to be what your dysfunctional family was unless you choose to follow that path. Asa broke out of the dysfunction that was going on. Do you realize that your life can change by making one good decision? And then make a second good decision. And then a third one. And can I tell you the first good decision? The first good decision is to trust in Jesus Christ Amen. as your personal Savior. Why any father wants to leave his children and grandchildren wondering where he's going to spend eternity is beyond me. Those children and those grandchildren love you with all of their hearts. They want you to be in heaven and all of you to be together for all of eternity. But you can't get there if you don't make one good decision to trust in Jesus. Jesus will be my Savior, my Savior. You make one good decision. You know, when you make one good decision, it often leads to another good decision and another good decision and another good decision, and you keep making good decisions, and before you know it, you're out of the mess. Do you understand that poverty is cyclical? In many cases, poverty is cyclical. It, it's a matter of making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Just because you have a college degree doesn't mean you're going to get out of poverty. Matter of fact, if you borrow enough money to go to college, you might be in poverty. <clears throat> well, I don't know. You might get your student loan debt here canceled before long. Don't let your past determine the trajectory of your future. 
Your future is bright. It doesn't have to be the way it was with your family or with your father or with your parents. Some, some of you came from families where you were abused. Your, your parents abused you. It's hard for most of us to even comprehend what some of you have been through, but you don't have to repeat that. You don't have to keep living like that. You can make a decision. I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior, and then I'm going to make some good decisions and do some good things. And where I don't know what kind of decision to make next, <coughs> I'm going to take time, and I'm going to counsel with some good godly people so that I can begin making some good decisions in my life, and I can do some good things that have good outcomes. I believe God wants to do good in our lives, don't you? Everything works together for good. God wants to do good things. God's not sitting in heaven saying, hey, I just want you stuck in that cycle of whatever it is that you can't get out of. You know what it takes for a drug addict? Yes, I understand. You got to detox and all those kind of things. It takes one good decision followed by another good decision. And you don't have to be. You don't have to be what, what your family was. You don't have to live like your family lived. You can come out of a mess and you can move into something that God has that's good for your life. Isn't that good news? <clears throat> Do you understand that's what the business of Jesus is about? He makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. He forgives our sins. They're removed from us as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. He makes us his child. He implants the Holy Spirit within us. He gives us his power to live as he wants us to live. He gives us an instruction manual to follow. He surrounds us with a family. Even if you don't have a family, he surrounds us with a family and says, look, we'll help you. Don't let your past determine the trajectory of your future. Number two, destroy your idols before they destroy you. <clears throat> destroy your idols before they destroy you. <clears throat> what does Asa do? <clears throat> he destroys the idols. He destroys the idols. The high places, the Asherah poles, all of those groves where they would go and worship. He cuts them down. You got to get rid of your idols. Because your idol is competing with your loyalty to God. <clears throat> Let me see if I can help you understand how foolish it is to follow an idol. Let's just say for a moment <clears throat> that you came home one day <clears throat> and in your car you had a mannequin sitting in the passenger seat. A female mannequin <clears throat> sitting in your passenger seat. And you go in and you sit down with your wife. You say, honey, <clears throat> I've loved you all these years. <clears throat> I really think, you know, we've had a great life together, but I'm replacing you. And she says, well, what are you replacing me? And you say, well, I've got her. She's out in the car. <clears throat> and you take her outside and, and you, you show her through the windshield that sitting in her seat, buckled into that seat is a mannequin. And she looks at you like you've lost your mind. Why would you want a mannequin instead of me? Well, he said, there's a permanent smile. She listens to everything I have to say. She never says anything while I'm driving. She never scares me when I'm driving. She never tries to put on the brake when I'm driving. I never have to buy her any new clothes. She's never asking me for shoes. We're never trying to figure out, you know, how, what we're going to eat, where we're going to go. Do y'all ever do this? Where you want to go? Well, where you want to go? Well, I don't know where I want to go. Just tell me where you want to go. I don't know where I want to go. You want to go where? I don't know. And then you make a choice. I don't really want to go there. <clears throat> 
I see there's a lot of other married men in this room. <clears throat> but the mannequin doesn't do any of that. The mannequin's peaceful. But can that mannequin love you? I mean, what do you, everything you have to do, you have to do for that mannequin. Do you understand that's what idolatry is? Those idols couldn't do anything. They were dumb. They were quiet. They were, they were voiceless. They couldn't hear. They can't see. They're useless. Anything done for the idols, you've got to pick them up, and you've got to take them where you want them to be. God, God says, why, why do you want idols when you have the living God who wants to love you? Why do we replace idols? And you say, well, Pastor, <clears throat> we don't have any wooden poles. We don't have, a, we don't have a, a totem pole out front where we're worshiping. Yeah, <clears throat> I realize that. But it might be an Xbox. <clears throat> it might be your yard. It might be your car. It might be your house. Uh, it might be any number of things. Any number of things. Anything that gets between you and God becomes an idol. Even your job. If your job says pick up and move somewhere, you better ask God first. Because your God is not your employer. Your God is God. Number three, <clears throat> display a devotion that inspires others to follow. Display a devotion that inspires others to follow. I love what Asa does. I know he failed at the end. I love what Asa does. He rallies the people. Come on, guys. We're going to come together. We're going to follow the Lord. Display a devotion that inspires others to follow God. Dads, your children aren't going any further with God than you have gone with God. They're not going any further than you have gone with God. You've got to display a devotion that inspires others to follow. When's the last time, Dad, your children heard you talking about how excited you were about the Lord, about his word, about his church, about people being saved? We have people to be baptized next service, about people being baptized. When, when is the last time your kids heard you with that kind of enthusiasm? <clears throat> We have to drag dad out of the bed to get him to church. Eh, that is if the fish aren't biting today. If the fish are biting today, I'm going out on the lake today. Remember the word? What's the word, men? It's loyal. That's what God's looking for. He, that's his job. He's, he's to and fro. His eyes going everywhere. Who's going to be loyal? Who's going to be undivided? Who's going to be complete? Who isn't going to have two souls going two different directions? Display a devotion that inspires others to follow. Love God so much that your children say, you know what? <clears throat> I might not see everything the way my dad sees it, but I'm, I'm going behind my dad because my dad is excited about the Lord. And number four, finally, determined to finish better than you started. Isn't it sad what happens to Asa? I mean, <clears throat> almost 40 years of his life, 35, 36 years of his life, He's been following God and obeying God, but apparently he's been drifting as well. Until finally at the end, when it comes time to have a battle with the northern kingdom, instead of turning to God, he turns to an enemy. Rather than turning to God when he's sick, he turns to the physicians first. 
because his heart wasn't loyal at that moment. Determined to finish better than you started. Men, you get older, you say, well, I'm going to slow down. Hey, look, I'm trying not to slow down. Will you men join me? You older men? I said, what's older? Anything's at least 10 years older than I am. That's older. So that's any of you men that are 55 and up. Determine that you're going to finish better than you started. You start as a little baby. You start as an immature infant. You start just taking the milk of the word. You start learning a little bit at a time, one precept upon another precept and another precept. But you want to progress. You want to finish strong. You want to come to the end of your life. You're an instructor. I can teach others. I can show others the way. And I finish strong. And my children can say at the end of my life, you know what? My dad stayed faithful and consistent to the last day of his life. What did the Apostle Paul say? I have finished my course. I have finished. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, he says, there's a crown that's laid up for me. I fought a good fight. I'll get the first words. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. Isn't Isn't that the way you want to finish? That's the way I want to finish, men. I want to finish strong. I want to finish, I want to come to the end of my life serving God with every ounce of my being. I might not have as many ounces to pour out, but I want to pour out every ounce that I can pour out in service to God. Men, you have got to set the pace in your family. And if you're not married to your children's mother, you have got to love those kids and show those kids and lead those kids. And if you're living in the family with your, with your wife and with your children, you've got to do more than play games. God is looking for men who are loyal. Say it with me, men. Loyal. You're loyal. You're loyal. God's looking for people who are loyal to him. 